At this moment, uh, ushers, you guys can come down the aisles and take the offering. Uh, if this is your first, second, or third time uh, during this moment, just fill out a connection card uh, instead of giving an offering. We'd love just to take this moment to get to know you. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're choosing Sunday morning to be with us to worship God in this place, and we're glad that you're here. Uh, for you guys that do not know, my name is Pastor John Leonard. I have the awesome privilege to be the youth pastor here at Mountain View Sunnyside and Mountain View Main Campus. Um, I absolutely love my job. I think, honestly, is the, the biggest blessing to not just do ministry, but to do it with the greatest person in the world, the greatest sidekick. My incredible wife is here. Can we give it up for amazing wife, Bree? She is so awesome. She has such a heart for youth. Uh, if you know of or are any junior high or high school student, uh, we'd love to have you attend our high school and junior high service on Wednesday night uh, from 7 to 8.45 at Main Campus. And if you're a young, uh, a young adult or an adult that's young at heart and you'd love to join us, we'd love to have you. I would love to worship God together and pour into this next generation the love of Jesus and the hope that he brings. You know, one reason I, I love my, ma- my wife is her heart is beautiful. She has such wisdom and, and knowledge. Um, but another reason I love her is, as you can tell, she is just absolutely gorgeous. I tried to put a picture the last time I was here a month ago to show how beautiful she was. I feel like it doesn't do it justice. She, she does not take a bad picture. First off, if you check out her Instagram profile, uh, it seems like all of her photos have a really good filter on them, but they're hashtag no filter. And I also try to find a bad picture of my wife. It doesn't exist. Like, if I try to catch her sneezing, like take a picture mid-sneeze, and I look at the picture, and she's like smiling and glowing. Yeah, I don't get that. But it's so great that she's here. I'm glad that uh, her and I have uh, an opportunity to serve together. And we'd love to get to meet you after service if we haven't had the pleasure to do so. Uh, we'll be outside, and we'd, we'd love to meet you. Uh, For you guys that that don't know, we have been diving into God's Word together for the past four weeks, doing a new sermon series called Living in a World, Living by Faith in a World Gone Mad. We have been diving into the book of Esther. Uh, Esther is in the Old Testament. This book was written 2,500 years ago. It uh, shows God's power and faithfulness to his people. It applies back then and it applies today, and I believe that God has an incredible word for us uh, in this passage that we're going to be reading out of chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. Um, and just to get you guys caught up, what we've been doing together is, is as we go through, we've got to see what has kind of been setting up God restoring a situation that seems impossible. In the, in the first chapter, we see uh, this, this Persian empire that is, that is over um, almost all of the world. It actually has authority over uh, uh, the, the nation of, of Israel, and we're in, they're in submission to it, God's chosen people. And in this moment, King Xerxes has a queen, Queen Ashanti, and Ashanti actually rebels and gets banished, and there is now an opening for the queen of the Persian Empire. And so what happens is this Jewish, young Jewish woman named Esther comes in and ends up becoming the queen, but out of fear, she does not say that she is a Jew. She's one of God's chosen people. Uh, This is in response to her cousin Mordecai. You'll hear about him. Mordecai is actually uh, Esther's cousin that raised her as his own. And he is afraid for her life, so he says, don't say that you're a Jew. Don't do that. So in the midst of this, God still puts her in this position of, of authority. And also, uh, Mordecai has an important position where he is uh, a, a guard that is around the gates. And he ends up finding out in the second week, we find out that there are two people plotting against King Xerxes. And in this moment, he goes to Esther and he pleads that someone is trying to kill King Xerxes. And so Esther goes and tells the king, and King Xerxes' life is saved. And you would think that Mordecai would get rewarded, but he is not yet. However, there is this evil man named Haman that we talked about last week. And Haman is elevated to one of the highest positions. And so much so that there's actually 
a rule that the king puts in place that people have to worship and immediately show respect to Haman. And so, initially we see Esther and Mordecai showing fear of their identity and, and being a child of God. But whenever Haman walks by, Mordecai refuses to worship him because he knows that we are called to worship the Lord our God and only him. So in this moment, he takes a step of faith and obedience to God. And he chooses to obey God rather than people. Because of this, Haman is furious and he finds out that, he, that Mordecai is a Jew. Mordecai had been having his faith built up and, and has been telling people that he was a Jew and he finds out. So what does Haman do? Haman in his arrogance and his pride and his ferocity goes to King Xerxes and King Xerxes puts a death decree over the nation of Israel. He proclaims that all Jewish people, men, women, and children will be slaughtered. And that's where we pick up in chapter 4. It is a position where they are without hope. We find out that it's going to take place in about a year. And one thing that we need to know going into this as we get you guys caught up is whenever a king puts something in place, it's irrefutable. It can't, it can't be changed. And it seems like all hope is lost. But I'm grateful that we serve a God who is the God of the impossible. Amen? I'm so grateful that God's word says that what is impossible for man is possible with God. And I don't want to give any spoilers away, but as you guys follow along, we get to see God's power and love displayed in this book of the Bible. And we get to see today in chapter 4, verses 1 through 17, it kind of sets stage. And so I say if you guys would love to join me, I'm going to read out of chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. Let's see what God's word has to say for us today. It says this, when Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city, crying with a loud, bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's death decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. So they fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Hathok, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed as her attendant, and she ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Hathok went out to Mordecai in the square in the front of the palace gate, and Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jewish people. Mordecai gave um, Hathok a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death, and he asked Hathok to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathok to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathok returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathok to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathot gave Esther's message back to Mordecai and Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you are in the palace you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. 
Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. And if I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. And as we unwrap this, I just want to take a moment, if you guys can um, gather with prayer. Uh, just bow your heads and close your eyes, and let's bring this before the Lord. God, we thank you for your, your word. We worship you. We thank you that you're here. I pray that you speak to our hearts and minds what you have for us, God, and that it is your word and your truth spoken, not my own. God, we worship you, and we recognize you being here, and we ask that you transform us from the inside out for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I, I look through the beginning of this passage, and I see Mordecai, and it has to be such a difficult position for him to be in. You know, whenever he and, and Esther, they don't reveal their identity out of fear, that's probably something that is eating at him, that he has to deal with every single day, that conviction of him not being bold in his faith and his identity in Christ. But what happens is whenever he is faced with a defining moment for him to choose himself or appeasing other people, he chooses to obey God knowing that there's probably going to be consequences for it. When Haman walks by and he chooses, you know what, I'm going to worship the Lord my God only and I'm going to take a step of faith and not bow down. But because he does that, Haman gets that death decree. So because Mordecai chooses to obey God's word, him and the entire people of Israel have a death decree. So Mordecai is, is completely heartbroken. But one thing that stands out to me is, do you see Mordecai go and yell in fury at God and blame him? No. You see him weeping and wailing. Yes, he's emotionally heartbroken, but at the same moment, he goes before God, he fasts and he prays, and he believes that God is still sovereign and worthy of all praise. That there is a reason that he chose to worship him instead of Haman. He believes that God is going to work something out. He, he comes up with this, this plan that Esther can, can go forth to the king to potentially save their lives. But I love how he even says, and if you don't, he still believes that God is going to bring restoration to his people. Because he knows that God is the God of the impossible. That there is hope found in Jesus. That there is hope that is found in him alone that this world cannot bring. So today, I hope that, that we're inspired by this and we see that this is reflected through Jesus and through all throughout Scripture. But we, as children of God, are called to be obedient to him and his word rather than our selfish motives, rather than the world around us. Now, Mordecai understand that, that understands that we need to abide by the law of the land and submit to those in authority. That's very important, absolutely. But it is whenever he is asked to do something that goes against God's plan. We choose to obey God over people whenever there is conflict, and that's what he does. And we see earthly consequences where people can lose hope, but we see Mordecai not do that. You know, I, I, I try my best to empathize and relate with Mordecai, and I don't know about you, but there may not be a moment where you refusing to obey and worship somebody 
will result in not just your death, but the death of this entire nation. But that would be pretty heavy. And there are times in my life where God has placed a defining moment before me, and I could have chosen to gone the easy way, gone the selfish way, or I could have gone his way. And I would love to tell you that I made the right decision every time. But that's not the case. I'm so grateful for God's rich and perfect grace and mercy that covers all of my sins, past, present, and future. It is amazing, and that's one reason that we praise God every morning. But one moment where I get to see God's hand at work in an impossible situation was I was interning at a church in Missouri, and I was interning full-time and not getting paid. And if you live, you understand that you need money, correct? Anybody else attest that? Okay, yes. Now, I started waiting tables at nights. Do we have any people in here that was in the food industry at all at any point in your life? God bless you. That is such a hectic industry. Man, I, I love food, so people want it. And one thing I did love about it was the 50% employee discount. Man, let me tell you, God is faithful. I was eating good in the neighborhood. I was eating Outback steak like every other day for like five bucks. I don't know how I did it. I would come up with these ridiculous concoctions. I, was, I would take a two kids grilled cheese sandwiches and then just put a steak in between, like a steak burger. I don't, man, to be young again, man, that stuff was awesome. And there was, there was fun moments of it, but there was definitely times specifically whenever I was, I was at this church and I was, I was at this restaurant, a high-end restaurant, and I'd just been there a couple months, and I started to realize that I may have been the only Christian there. I started to realize that there's a lot of evil happening, that the owners and the managers were getting completely wasted on the job, that they would actually befriend people who would go out with them and give them better sections, and I would actually lose money of it. I would, I would be told to go home, so I would prepare, and then I couldn't work. But I, I, I loved people, and I loved being there. It was such an incredible ministry for me, for me to love on the people that I was waiting on, but also the people around me. But in this moment, I would be persecuted because when you love Jesus, you can't help but tell people about Jesus, amen? So I'm telling people about Jesus and the stake that we have and then a side of Jesus, amen? All right. So what I loved is I would talk to the, the chefs and I would talk to the waiters and any chance I could. But from that, people would hate on Jesus a lot. And I would hear things said about the Holy Spirit, about God, that were so grotesque, it would make me sick to my stomach. And God gave me grace to love in the midst of it, but there would be harsh words and I would, I would have, honestly, money taken because I would not be given tables because of favoritism. And then there was a moment that actually came in and a, a, a guy who was a server called and he was too drunk to come into work and asked if I could on my day off. So I was like, yeah, I'm happy to help out. And I go in and then after the shift, a week after I see my manager drunk out in public at a gas station, she confronts me and says, um, yeah, this place isn't going to work out for you. Now, that stinks to have your job taken away, but it also was really hard because this is right before the summer that I committed to work at eight weeks of kids in youth camp and a two-week mission trip to Guatemala where I was raising support where they said that I could come home and work on the weekends and that was taken from me. And you can't apply for a job just to work weekends and so I was, I was lost and without hope. I had to pay bills. I didn't know what to do. So you know what I did? I took an impossible situation and I gave it to God. I said, God, because I submitted to you because I didn't give in to the sin and temptation to please people rather than you, you're going to provide a way. And looking back, I see every month that my rent was paid for by people who love Jesus and want to show the love of Jesus that way. I ended up making more money that summer from people giving love and, and, and donations. I had a GoFundMe page and people were so generous. 
And then at the end of the summer, speaking of, camps are awesome. You have to send your kids to camps. It was incredible. Same with mission trips. Love the mission banquet. It is incredible to be a part of what God is doing around the world as a part of the church. And I was so grateful to be a part of that. And at the end of the summer, I got a job offer at the top restaurant in the city. And it was amazing. I made so much more money. The food was so much better. My goodness gracious, God is so good. Let me tell you. And I remember this. As I go into this place, once again, as the only Christian bold in my faith, but God gave me such favor with the owners that I felt so, so welcomed. I could not help but just get emotional at times that people would come and ask about Jesus all the time and bring situations and hurts. And I got to see God move mightily. And what was so hard about coming out here to be youth pastor was whenever I left, I knew that I couldn't be there. And I knew that God was working through me, and I prayed for those people, and I believed that God was still going to be there for them. Because whenever you are spending time with God, and you are living a life of prayer, your heart breaks for what breaks God's, and you just want to bring the hope of Jesus to people that are lost in an impossible world. I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that has a heart for the lost and those that need him. That's you guys. You guys are the hands and feet of God. You are light in a dark world. And it's so encouraging that we get to see you guys make the right decisions in defining moments that are not just going to transform your lives, but transforms this entire city, this state, and this entire world. You guys can do that together. And so as we go back, Esther is faced with such a difficult decision. And initially she's like, if I go and do that, I'm going to die. And then Mordecai reaches back out, and I believe that God is working on her heart. And she's like, you know what? I'm not afraid of who I am. I'm a child of the Most High God, and I believe that God's plans are best rather than pleasing people or my own selfish motives. So this is the two decisions that Esther is faced with. She can either do this. She can, one, she can keep quiet and remain safe for a time but miss her life's mission, or she can declare who she is and face potential disaster or even death, but save her people. Guys, we can be confident when we obey God that his plan is best. I love Romans 8.28 that says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Is it, say, a called according to our purpose? No. We are called according to the purpose of God. And that is revealed when we spend time with the Lord. Romans 12.2 tells us that we're not supposed to be conformed by this world, but instead that we're supposed to let God transform us into a new person by changing the way that we think. Then we will receive God's will for our lives, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Whenever you spend time just humbly and submissive to the throne of God, and you come before him with your life, with your situation, with your defining moment, whatever impossible situation or hurt you have, if you bring it to the throne of the cross, let me tell you, God's plan prevails, and you're going to enjoy life so much more, trusting him. Even in the midst of storms and mystery, God's plan is best. One thing I want us to do, church, is I want us to close by looking at Jesus, the Savior of the world, and realizing that he had a defining moment in his life where he could choose to accept the mission or let all humanity be separated from God forever. You see, Matthew 28, 20 says, For even the Son of Man, Jesus, came to this world not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus knew that God's plan for him was going to involve pain 
and torture and ultimately death and separation from God for a moment. And that's not an easy decision. I'm looking at that, I'm like, I don't know if I could do that. That is so hard, the agony that would happen. And we get to see the humanity of Jesus displayed in Luke 22, verses 42 to 44. Jesus is crying out to God, spending time alone in prayer. He says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. It says, then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And he prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. It seems like the more hurt, the more pain that was coming, Jesus just pushed in harder. And whatever storm or trial you're facing, whatever difficulty is arising in your life, push in harder. Because know that you're not alone. Know that God's love and his plan and purpose for you is good and that there is a good ending. That there is hope that is found in Jesus where we get to spend eternity in heaven whenever we die and there's no more pain, no more sickness, no more disease. But also in this moment that we can bring that hope and that healing to other people. And there's also incredible victory that comes on this earth when we're obedient to Christ. Guys, as a church, let's, let's hold each other accountable. Let's encourage and strengthen one another to spend time with God so that whenever those difficulties come, that we can get on our hands and feet before God and say, you know what, God, I'm tired of running the show and saying, God, you can get my second best. God, I want to give you my best. I want to give you it all. That's where freedom is found. How many people in this world do we see try to be their own God and then it just end in disaster? God did not create you to live life alone and live it for your purpose. He created you not by accident. He created you to spend your entire life in intimate communion with him, fulfilling the plan and calling for your creation. As you spend time with him, you'll know why you're here on this earth. We, we talk together about things that we do as a church, that we fulfill our calling, but there is so much more for you. There is so much more, and I pray that as a church that we dig in and spend time with God. So I just want to encourage you guys to take a moment to bow your heads and to close your eyes.